Hi, I'm Georgette Pierre, and you're listening to Black and Nuance Podcast, dispelling the idea that Black people are monolithic. Being othered or being one of one in various corporate spaces is something that hits too close to home. I didn't really think about it when I started working at the age of 16, although I had an experience that only recently came to surface as I started addressing this episode's theme of navigating blackness in white corporate spaces. I recall two work environments that had me questioning my worth and my well-being. I did not like that at all. I worked in New York at the time in TV production, a space that still needs to evolve and having black people in significant positions that could really affect change like hiring us to be managers, directors, and executives, not related to DEI. So when I had my first black boss and a black woman at that, my perspective on how I saw myself changed completely. She saw more in me than I saw in myself and she wasn't going to allow me to stay complacent. So shout out to her. So imagine the motherfucking shock I felt when I left New York for the first time to move to Florida to not only take an $80,000 pay cut, but to walk into a toxic environment created by the manager that hired me. I could have stayed in New York for all that. It sucked because the higher ups turned a blind eye to the manager's behaviors. And God forbid you didn't kiss their ass or you were too outspoken. Significant career opportunities that came across their desk didn't touch you. Needless to say, I got the fuck up out of there a year later and moved back to New York in 2019, but not without picking up some emotional PTSD scars along the way. Okay, so I'm back in New York, enter the pandemic a few months later. I had to navigate various freelance and consulting opportunities until I landed something consistent, and here comes the consistent job. This manager's leadership abilities were horrid, lazy, and very green in nature compared to what I was used to. Here we go, PTSD all over again. So when I got onboarded during the pandemic, I was already at a disadvantage. I wasn't fully equipped with the necessary resources and information to do my job, and I was on a team that already knew each other. And that's what I meant by lazy. The manager didn't take the time to see how my strengths fit into the puzzle of the team that they had already created. I lost all confidence in myself, so when it was my turn to execute on my first project, it flopped. I had a scarce budget, it was still COVID, and again, minimal know-how with a lot of assumptions being made about what I should already know. I felt disrespected by how the manager chose to reassign the show for me since I didn't execute it the way they saw fit. I was belittled around quote unquote how bad it was. I was told I didn't know digital. It was still COVID on top of my position being threatened. Oh hell nah. But here was the gag. When they decided to leave the company for a new gig, all the pilot ideas they had allegedly greenlit for my team were canceled. Duh, they just weren't good ideas. And I was made to believe like I was the crazy one, like I didn't know good content. Middle finger to that manager and other avatars like them because they don't deserve to be gatekeepers anywhere. Black people are usually waiting for the bottom to fall out because of similar experiences like my own and we deserve so much better. Although that's not everyone's experience. My first guest can relate. I had never interacted professionally with a person of color, even personally, where I felt like, was lied to or I was so misguided and so thrown off that I I was just because then it was like oh my gosh I'm not trusting my own people and it was like how how do I look myself in the mirror and say that I can trust yeah. myself again and trust us when this person led me so astray that is the beautiful and gracious Amadi Pate an artist a creative well let me let her tell you who she is so I'm Amadi um, and I'm an artist. I'm a creative. Um, and while my main medium is film, um, is storytelling up on its feet, I, I've always been a lover of art across the board. Um, for me, it started with loving like 2D art and painting, dragging my parents to museums. Um, <laughs> that was me as a kid and it just grew into then loving theater and um, basically a love of like performing arts for me. Um, I was never much of a dancer, <laughs> but did take, you know, the dance classes as a kid, but I really found my stride in storytelling and see and reading for me was really big as a kid. So for me, it was finding my way as a creative, as an artist, starting with the words on the page. And then from there, realizing how exciting and beautiful it can be when you can breathe, breathe life into it and put it on the screen and see people actually reciting those words and living that truth. I love that. I love it. I love that you came in strong, like I'm an artist. 
Y'all can get everything else, but I am an artist first, okay? Yes. You will not disrespect. I love that. And so with your career, and I know I've navigated some of these spaces, with your career, have you ever had to navigate being the only one, right? And the only one meaning the only Black person, the only Brown person, person of color, the only woman, only Black woman, right? Like, I feel like there's so many yep. layers that we can go with, yes. with us. And, and, sure. and, and, and if you had to navigate that, the challenge is of now having to be the person that has to represent a whole community voice. Mm -hmm. talk, to, talk to us about that. Yeah, so for me, interesting enough, it started very early on. I was very privileged to go to a private school. My parents, that was very important for my sister and I, for them to put us in a private education. But what that meant a lot of times is I was the only one in that space early on. I was, whether it was the only black girl or just the only black person, so it's one of those things that I guess early on, I figured out my code switching and figured out how to navigate those spaces. And being younger, it was definitely was not always easy. And I think younger, I kind of faulted to leaning towards away from my blackness and trying to blend in, even though I am very chocolate and beautiful and stand out in every space. <laughs> Uh, but I think as a kid, it was that feeling of like, oh, I don't like being different. I don't want to be different. But definitely as I grew up and what was nice is that in my home, my parents never or they always celebrated the blackness that we come from. It was always, you know, we're proud to be black. You know, the storytelling, whether it's with our family, you know, it was always exposing my sister and I to black spaces, whether it was going to the one bookstore in Dallas that was in all of the authors, all of the books were by artists or authors of color, you know? So, or it was going to the library and making sure we're checking out books by um, black authors and black illustrators. So for me, it was always at home and in the spaces where I was learning, my parents tried very hard that even though in school, maybe I was the only one at home, I was gonna get the education and the history and not feel like the only one or know that there is a history and a people outside of me. Um, but growing up and then being in college and then grad school, especially in grad school and deciding to go into film and TV, I was the only one. And what it became was realizing, because at that point, you know, I'm grown, I've come into my own mm -hmm. and realizing that I want to be that voice and I want to speak up and sometimes I know my voice came on in a way of like, oh, not necessarily a kind education, but kind of an education of, I'm just going to let you know what it is. You know, I'm not going to make it pretty. I'm not going to try to gloss over it or make you comfortable. I'm just going to tell you how it is because right now I feel like a little bit of like, are you attacking us or are you saying that, you know, Black isn't as powerful as it is? I can't count how many times I've had to tiptoe around what I've really wanted to say to someone that spoke from a microaggressive place, intentionally or unintentionally. I don't know if any of my peers have ever had these conversations or had someone sitting next to them that looks like me and saying that, well, the stories I want to tell, I am going to center people of color. I am going to center Black people. And not mm -hmm. only that, but I'm going to center them and I'm not going to put them in a situation that I think society has said is a black situation. I'm gonna put them in a situation of, she's a black woman and she's walking to work and she's going to get her coffee. And then something happens and she wakes up and it was all a dream. And you know, now she's like living her life at home. You know, it's not something that's like, oh, it's been a struggle or, oh, it's always about slavery or her past. No, because if I'm telling my story, this is what's real for me. I am the girl you know, running to work because I'm late and I got up and I got my coffee and, you know, I'm trying to check my email on my phone. And that, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if she's Black, white, Asian, Puerto Rican. It's just the story of this woman in that tale. And so that's wow. what I found in using my voice and telling those stories in those spaces is I was like, well, if this is a school setting and we're all learning, well, if I'm the only one in here and my professor is also white, then that I'm now the only person in this space to tell that story, to say that's not how it has to be. The, what you've seen on screen, well, let me, since I'm the only person, you may not have ever heard this from anyone, you may be too afraid to ask the question. I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna make sure that when you leave my space though, you've been a little more educated or you've been told a little bit more about the black experience 
that isn't something that you knew before. But there is always a fine dance we have to toe on when and where to speak up. I mean, I still struggle with that now. This idea of shrinking when I didn't have immediate language, but I have gotten much better in the advocacy work for myself and others. When did you find comfort using your voice? I think in an educational setting, I think I was more comfortable because it's, you know, with my peers, I think we're, I felt like we're on the same level. Oh, okay, I can tell you this, whether you listen to me or not, I can say it how I want to say it because, you know, you don't, it's not a hierarchy here. But I think once I moved to a professional setting and now yeah. I'm more so the subordinate or you're my boss, you're my manager, having that conversation or pointing that out it did become a little more difficult and it became more in my mind, more of a calculated situation because it becomes, well, if I say something, are you going to take it as, Oh, she's being aggressive. Oh, she doesn't know because I've been in this industry for 20 years. She's only been in it for two. She doesn't know, you know? So, and then for me, it's, you know, and that's something, uh, something I had to battle with because it's, that's true. I don't have the experience. This is my second job. So no, I don't have the experience in the industry, but I do have the experience as a black woman and I have been in the world and had to navigate this world as a black woman. So, well, maybe I don't know maybe how it is on, you know, on the page or then how it translates to screen, but I know this story more than you do. And mm -hmm. so it became me having to figure out how to use my voice and definitely having to figure out and sadly code switching because it is that situation where it's not my peer. So I can't just say, no, this is how it is. I do have to figure out how to say it to my boss, my manager in a way that is constructive and respectful to also make sure that they hear it and that they can carry it forward in their next interaction and situation. There's this fear of, right? Mm -hmm. Fill in the blanks. Fear of getting yes. fired, fear of being told no, fear of this, fear of being demoted, fear of whatever. And it's it becomes a level of a frustration as well because you're you're mm -hmm. you're in a place or in a room where people that aren't you are telling you about your experiences and, and talking to you about content that's targeting your community. And how does one navigate that, right? You know, beyond the conversation. Yeah. Like what what is it that gets gets through to people that are in positions that don't look like us, but that make decisions on how we present on the big screen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it could be stereotypical when it could be a misrepresentation. Like, have you also had to bump up against a misrepresentation of us? And mm. how did you have to navigate that conversation? Right. Um, because I know that could yeah. also be touchy because sometimes they make it seem like, Oh, Amadi's a black woman. She, she could speak for all black people in this room. Right. And I think that, that touches on to me where you were saying the fear of, to me, it's that fear of misrepresenting our people. It's that fear of, yes, I'm the only one in the room. So now they put on me, oh, Amadi, how do all black people feel? And then it puts on this other layer of fear that I'm going to say something that's not how the black people feel and that it's just how I feel. <laughs> and so now oh no, they're going to come for me. And I thought I was doing it for us. And now it's gotten misrepresented and now it's turned around. And so that's, for me, that's always the position I've been in of like, well, now I carry this weight and it's an important weight. And it is something that I take very seriously in those spaces. Without fail, Black people are constantly put in a state of having to represent the whole community as if only one type of Black person exists. It makes me think about what Issa Rae said on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert back when Insecure first came out. Don't start sentences with, hey, do black people? Don't do that. Because mm -hmm. um, they don't? Is that why? Because they don't? It's just, I don't know. I don't know what other black people do. We are not monolithic, nor are all of us omniscient. But it's a frustrating thought to know that people in positions of power have very limited views of how we occupy space, thus limiting our opportunities in places where we could really make a difference in the authenticity of the stories that get told on screen. It was one of my first jobs out of school and I was on a desk as an assistant and I had these managers and one of them, it, she just, I think for her, she felt like she had been in the industry so long. I think she felt like she had seen it all. She knew it all. 
And I know for her, it was hard to hear something that wasn't she already believed to be true. What from her experience was already fact. So it was something where they were working on this new project and it was like, oh, Amadi, we'd love for you to read it. We know this is where your interest lies. You know, please read it. Let us know what you think. We're trying to, you know, figure out casting and that sort of thing. And I was, of course, I'd love to read it. Thank you for the opportunity. And I'm reading it and to me, it's, it put, it was about people just like in a different, it was a work setting story, but in a different place, you know? So it's like, okay, no one, to me, no one is typical in this space. I wouldn't say that, you know, white people are normally in this space or Latino people are normally in this space. To me, it's just, okay, a workplace story. Great. Anyone can be here. And when they were thinking about the casting or the people they, that could tell this story, they saw it very much as white people that this lead has to be a white man because of the setting because of the story that it's telling and i pushed back a little and i i felt like well i read the script i i mean i'm reading the same thing you are these are about people at work and having relationships to me there's no color to that there's no i mean unless you want a specific actor but even then and it was interesting because I heard a conversation where they mentioned a well-known black actor. Someone told them, I think this actor would be great for this part. Don't see a black man in this part or this space. Mm. And I was kind of like taken aback because then I was like, did I read something else? Did I <laughs> misunderstand what the story is? Like, what am I not getting? And then it, it clicked for me that they just don't believe that a black person could be in that setting, you know? And it was just like, you're a person who's been in this industry for 20 plus years, you're a person who's responsible for people of color getting jobs and your mind isn't even that open to understand that we can occupy spaces all over the world. And that's when mm. I realized, wow, if that's what you think, how much trouble are we really in? And you're someone who believes in. that you are open that you are liberal, that you are mm. inclusive. And for me, it was just this, you know, like, wow. And then it made me kind of look around of like, so in your interactions with me, I must really be teaching you and enlightening you of how, what, what kind of people we are, you know? And then for me, yeah. it was the first time of really taking stock in that not only am I maybe the first in this space, I'm the only in this space, but I am the first time that these people have worked with a black person in this capacity, wow. in this professional setting. So the way I walk in the room, the way I answer the phone, the way I respond to their emails, it is setting the tone for all black people they're going to work with forever. And making sure that you're not the last person in that space either. To, there needs to be more. But it was so powerful with you say, saying that you are now setting the tone with how they interact or what their expectations of how black people will interact in the spaces that they may not have interacted with as many black people or any black people in. Yeah. Um, thinking about DEI then in some of these spaces, like, you know, the um, what you hear versus what you see, has it always matched? For me, it's honestly, it's been a mixed bag. Okay. I'd say at one company I worked at, was very evident. It was um, in like, when I came in the space, I wasn't the only black person in the room. I wasn't yeah. the only black woman in the room. And I think also to the credit of that team, the highest up on the team, she was in EVP. It was a black woman. So I think for her, that was something that, well, from her on down, she just made sure that that was what it was gonna be. She was a black woman her assistant was a black man. And so I think for her, it was that, well, anyone who comes through this team, well, that's, I mean, it's not a question. We're not, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, just be looking around at no one who looks like me. And so that's something I really mm -hmm. appreciated because when I remember when I went in for my interview, I'm looking around and while the people I was interviewing with were white, it was very mixed looking around. There were Latino people on the team. There were black people, there were men, women, it was very mixed. And so that was something that coming into that space, I did feel really comfortable with that. It was like, okay, I know that I'm not the first, I know I'm not the only, and I know that in my interactions with you all here, it gives me a little more liberty to be myself as well, 
because I'm not having to carry this weight and also kind of carry that fear as much as I did in other spaces. You know, I'm a little, I can get a little more comfortable and that in my conversations and in the way I explain things or respond to things, I can put a little more Amadi in there and not just corporate black woman. And so that, and so at that company, it did feel like the work was being done and they were putting their money where their mouth was, which, Mm -hmm. which was really nice to see. But where I think the hard part is and where I think corporations and studios are still working on it is getting those people of color and black people in those higher up spaces. I think that's where they're still trying to figure it out and make it work. Because I think at the entry level, at the assistant, intern level, Mm -hmm. oh, that's easy. But I think when it becomes a supervisor position or that vice president position. Where they can make decisions. Yes. And where their decision making can really waterfall and trickle down. That's where corporations are really having a hard time. And that's where I'm Mm. seeing they're kind of tripping over themselves or kind of at a loss <laughs> and and i'm still sitting here like where's the loss where wh- what's the hard part because i meet right. people all the time who are black or people of color who do have that ability who do have the resume who do have the skill set you know and so mm-hmm. my question just becomes well where are you looking who are you talking to okay well they didn't do the work when they were younger to expand their circle. So now that they're older, their circle looks like them. And so they can only reach so far. Yeah. So it's like, that's where I feel like the corporations need to do more and not just leaning on their employees at that level, but really doing the work and reaching out outside of the people that are already in the positions. And whether it's in like putting in programs or initiatives and saying, we're going to reach beyond what we know. And it's going to be more work. It's going to be a little harder, but it's worth it. It's not a secret that most corporations have some work to do around inclusion of hiring us beyond DEI roles. But what about how Black women specifically are treated in some of these places? The microaggressions, the blatant disrespect, the dismissive attitudes, and feeling invisible at times are just a few things I've encountered. I still haven't mastered how to manage being on the receiving end of these oppressive behaviors. So I asked somebody how she navigates, and we had some things in common. I think for me in the past, the way I combated it, because I've been in spaces before where we're in meetings and, you know, we're talking about, oh, whether it's like with casting or we're looking at these candidates and we want to bring them on. And it's like, we're looking at all these kids, all these people and someone speaking about them and you and the descriptors used for the black candidates were always there. It was always about their speech. It was always, and they spoke so well, they spoke so eloquently and that sort mm. of thing. And I know that no one else in the room heard it, but whenever someone says something like that, I hear it. I hear it and I feel it because I know what you're saying when you say it. When you say it, what you mean is I didn't expect them to speak eloquently. I didn't expect them to be able to mm. speak professionally. And so I want to note it because aren't we all surprised? And when I've been mm. in that space, when I heard that before, there was, I had another friend on the team who was a black woman and we kind of would just vent to one another. We would then walk away and be like, you know, we need to have coffee. We're going to go take a walk. And we would use that time to talk to, with one another and kind of vent and be like, can you believe, or did you hear, or did that affect you <laughs> the same way? Or it was like, I just can't even. And sometimes it was a moment where we didn't even need to talk about it. It was just, we just need to be outside and just like go get coffee or walk around and just maybe talk about something else. Because it was just that feeling of like, like you said, having to eat it. I guess just taking moments to say, okay, we just need to step away because I can't blow up. Because like you said, I need this job. I, you know, I Mm -hmm. have to go back in. I have to do the rest of my work day when you're in these rooms, like what's the, th- the thin line or the fine line you have to walk? Like for instance, wanting to get more diverse voices, greenlit or heard or seen or, you know, presented in front of the table for them to consider other people in your line of work. When do you know when it's worth battling? Like that's a, like a, a hill you want to yeah. die on. And when are you like, I don't have the energy today. 
what's sad is that that's how it is sometimes that we do sometimes have to go i don't have the energy today which is hard because it's like i'm trying to fight for my people i'm trying to fight for me but it's like how much fighting can one woman take and it's like that's what's so hard is like i feel like every day i do kind of come in with my battle gear on and to me that's not necessarily a negative because i want to fight for us i want to fight for our space and for our voice but it, it is it is a question of when and how to do that what i've done i feel like my little piece of combating it is when they ask in my job when they ask for casting ideas when they ask for writers when they ask for directors from amadi pay you're only going to get a list of black creators any list I give you, it is going to be only black people. It's going to be men, women, whatever. But if you're, if you're, it's like, oh, Amadi, we'd love your opinion. We'd love to know what you think. Please give us a list. If it's coming from me, it's only going to have black, black things on everything. it. That's <laughs> it. That's it. So when you look them up, when you see what work they've done, yep. it's going to be like only black creators. Because for mm. me, not only is it putting names in front of them that maybe they've never heard, they've never thought about because then they're going to have to type that name in. They're going to then do the research. They're going to see what their credits are. So then from that, they're automatically maybe seeing work they've never heard of. They're seeing shows or films they've never heard mm -hmm. of. And so then it's like, oh, that's going to educate them because then they're going to have to click on it and see, you know, because I think a lot of times what I found is people aren't, especially these higher ups, they're not necessarily watching shows and TV shows outside of their own interests. Right. They're not watching TV shows outside of creators they know. So when I do that, not only am I, I guess, for like putting them on to content that is relevant today, but it's also putting them on to people or creators they've never thought of because that's just not in their interest. So it automatically forces them to kind of research and get into things they were unaware of. It's the intentionality for me. So when I get in, I have to make sure others next to me, behind me, all around me can get in too, hopefully with less obstacles than I had. My next guest knows all about intention as well. When it came to breaking into my career in media and, entertain and entertainment, I did not have any issues getting in. So I really got my, my sort of start in corporate America at a Black-owned company. So it really changed how I stepped into a lot of these predominantly white institutions, whether it be MTV or, you know, Spotify, Sony Music, wherever it might be. That's my good friend, Stephen Williams. He's, well, I'd like to let my guests introduce themselves to the collective. I am a humble servant of God and I am a work in progress. That's how we're describing me today. <laughs> Steven and I met back in 2014 when he was working at MTV and I was working at VH1, owned by the same umbrella company now called Paramount, but known as Viacom back then. We also had contrasting experiences navigating these corporate spaces. When it comes to this topic, I mean, I can, I can speak to you about it all day long and not necessarily from a negative standpoint of like all of these terrible things happen to me, not necessarily that, but more of like, here's what I've noticed. Yeah. Uh, is is important to keep in mind uh, or things that I've noticed you might experience or see or hear when you are a person of color um, navigating these spaces. Because it's not always going to be what's being done to you or said to you. Sometimes it is just how you are going to perceive things or how you're going to move differently just based on your cultural background uh, and, and things like that. It just affects the way we and see things and how we move a little bit differently. My experience being the only one, only black person, only black woman or person of color in the space required me to show up differently. What has it been like navigating as the only one if that was your experience? I've never been the only one. There may have been a meeting here or there where I was the only one, but when it comes to the team I worked on, leaders that I sat under, I, I've never been the only one. I think a lot of times, a lot of times that definitely is the case for sure. So I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss that because that is a reality. But I think because we know that's a reality, we often think that because we're often the only ones that that means we're going to have a difficult time getting in, right? Mm. And so what I can say to that is when it came to breaking into my career in media and, entertain and entertainment, I did not have any issues getting in. 
Um, it was actually pretty, pretty simple. Um, you know, I, 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 I started, you know, interning for P. Diddy. So I really got my, my sort of start in corporate America at a black owned company. Um, and that really shaped how I moved into different spaces when it came to media. Because when you work for Puff, when you're an intern for Puff, you work for Puff. You're an intern, but you work for him. Um, and, you know, he treats everyone the same from the intern to the president of Combs Enterprises, right? Everybody is a high performer. Everyone knows how to deliver, et cetera, et cetera. And you look around and everybody looks like you. So it really changed how I stepped into a lot of these predominantly white institutions, whether it be MTV or, you know, Spotify, Sony Music, wherever it might be. So I think that's first. Even if you are the only know that you belong um, and, and just know that you can still make your way into those spaces, like even if you think that, you know, oh, there's not many of us, there will be once you step through the door. Don't let that deter you and don't let that cloud your 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 perspective of self, I would say. But I've mm. but I've but I've never been the only one and and that has been I've been really grateful for that because I've every time I've noticed that I'm not the only one, I, I I've it's I've just been really, really grateful for it. Because I, I see yeah. the, the the coverage and the and the, the the perspective that is shared and how that contributes to the ultimate product, whatever it is we're doing, whether it's we're launching a marketing campaign or we're sending out a tweet or you know producing a live stream in Orlando, whatever it is, just having people who share your perspective really does make a difference. When we were in Orlando for the live stream, one of the on-camera talent, a comedian, a black gentleman, um, I can't remember his name, but um. I was introducing myself to him and he was like, oh my God, it's so good to see, you know, us here doing this production at Google. And I was like, oh, that's a common thing. Like all the way up to our leadership, our VP is a black woman. So, you know, we are out here. Um, so I would caution people to, to be careful with fully accepting the idea that we're not out here because we are. Yeah, but you understand why people feel that way. Oh, yeah, because it's a reality. We are not in a lot of spaces. We are not in a lot of spaces, but we are in a lot of spaces at the same time. (laughs) You know, I want to encourage people to really shift their focus. And even if you're going into a field where you know there is not a lot of you, go through the gate anyway. My pastor just said that. When the gate is open, when the door is open, do not question yourself. Do not question if you belong. Go through because we we need you we need you there what do you attribute that experience to god's grace and being covered something else it was definitely god's grace and it was definitely timing mm. if okay. i would have been a bit older like you're a bit older than i am right yeah and so if i would have gotten started five to seven years before 2013 oh i know it would have looked differently because i got gotcha. started in media when we were just beginning to have this sort of golden age renaissance of people of color being in media, right? You know, Scandal was coming to the table. You know, MTV was hiring Lizzo to host live shows before people even knew that Lizzo was a huge artist. You know, The Breakfast Club was becoming the number one radio station in the country. You know, all of these things around black people, people of color were front and center in Mm -hmm. media. And so because of that, you were beginning to see a lot more of that representation behind the camera. So a lot of it really was timing. But I will say, you know, my mom did such a great job of preparing me to move from a Black-owned media company to majority white-owned media institutions. You know, she told me when I was leaving my internship with Diddy, I was there for two years, she was a little worried about it, but she basically said, you know, expect things to be different when you step out mm. of an all-Black company. Um, expect things, expect to have to navigate a little bit differently than you would working for Diddy. And that was exactly what I saw. However, I saw it under the perspective or context of being protected, specifically by Black women. Right. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I go from Diddy to Sony Music. Right. And I'm in the Sony Music at RCA Records in the PR department that is run almost entirely by white women, including all of the other interns, white women. Um, There was one um, black uh, 
lead publicist on that team. And then, you know, let's just say I transitioned to a different team for the following semester. So I went from PR to marketing and marketing was run by black women. And I had these black women on multiple occasions pull me aside to say things like, I want to make sure you're getting the best experience possible. I want to make sure you mm. have all of the resources, all of the tools. I want to make sure you know that you are in here and you are killing it. I want I want you to know that you are in here showing do. up, showing up in a way that most interns do not show up. Or I even had a black woman pull me aside and say, hey, my white female counterpart is misinterpreting your personality and character. And you and I both know why that is. Mm. You know, that was, so I had that kind of coverage and protection when I moved through those spaces. So I saw, I saw sort of that I was going to have to navigate a little bit differently. My mom prepared me for that. But then when it came time for me to have to actually step into that, I had so much protection and guidance to be able to do it. And this is all happening still in my intern years, right? Yeah. So, so I'm seeing this pretty early. I haven't even graduated college yet. Right. So, yeah. so, so I have seen it. So I understand, you know, why we have to look out for ourselves when we are the only one or the few in the spaces because corporate America is, is different. Corporate America was really started and still is predominantly one run by people of a different cultural experience. So, so that, that's just, that's just the reality. I love that. Correct. I feel like always at the root of it is uh, it's always black women will always be black women. Mm -hmm. Shout out to us black women. And I love that they poured into you because that's a real thing, right? Like I know for me, that's something that I always think about as well. You're at the Googles and the tech space, at least, you know, with us recording this in 2022, November, 2022, the tech space has been seeing a hit with laying off a lot of people. Did you feel like there was an adjustment for you get, um, entering the tech space, coming out of entertainment and media? Um, and what have you seen um, now working in the tech space? When it comes to, you know, things like the economy and, and, and layoffs and, you know, how the chips end up falling when companies decide to do what it is they do, you know, it's, it's really layered because when it comes to tech, there's there's one issue of like, how do we get more black people and people of color? in the door right but that's not really yep. what you and i are talking about because i'm in there my vp is a black woman you know mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so i'm in there but then you know you see all of these layoffs happen and you see so many of the people being fired are black and brown folks and then you mm -hmm. start to ask yourself okay well why is it happening that way because I could I could go the route of, oh, well, you know, the industry is just nefarious and anti-Black and doesn't want us there, so we're purposely right. being fired. I don't necessarily, I'm not convinced that that's what's happening, but what I can see is clearly happening is that in 2019, in 2020, all of these Black people and all of these people of color were hired for diversity and inclusion positions that previously did not exist so there, so it was like the floodgates were opened, right? And then two years later, we're in a recession. So all of that sort of extra, well, I don't mean to call it extra, but all of that sort of novelty in terms of headcount and positions and teams, all of that is being taken away, right? And so much of Black people and people of color in large numbers being in tech in large numbers is new. Um, a lot of these positions are new. A lot of these teams are new. I actually remember when all of these black folks started to get hired, there was a lot of people talking about just what you talked about. Like what's going to happen in, in two years? Are we still going to be in these positions? Are we going to be let go? Are we going to, you know, rise the corporate ladder um, in terms of rank and positions and, and really have some, some leeway to make things happen in these different spaces. But unfortunately that has just not happened yet because yeah. we're still so new in the space. Like it goes back to what we were talking about early earlier. no, I wasn't the only one. No, I'm not the only one now. However, us being there in the numbers that we are there is still so new. So we're still susceptible to a lack of representation. Um, we are. And that is what we're seeing. You know, I know after the pandemic, and the pandemic is still going on. It is. But after the Just peak China. years, after the peak years, there was this whole thing around Black's not in anymore. Get it while it lasts. And I just didn't want to 
lean into that, to be honest with you. What are your thoughts around that? You know, I was thinking about that. And it's for me, it, it becomes, you know, I'm when it comes to like DI and things like that, like I'm so happy that so many Black people got in the doors at a lot of these yeah. tech companies. Uh, because regardless, that's two years at a major tech company on your resume, regardless of what, layo- what layoffs happen now. Now you have two years at a tech company on your resume. That puts you in a whole different stratosphere when it comes mm. to your job search. I mean, a complete. I, I just got a DM message before I hopped on this call with you that shocked the shit out of me. Wow. I, I'll give you another example. We had a, a leader on my team leave uh, after four months on the team because she got hired by Beyonce. Like, <laughs> like that is the type. And when I say working at a big tech company will change your, like the ballpark that you play in when you're job searching, it really, really will. But to that point, you know, and now we're all talking about job security because of layoffs, whether you're white, black, brown, or anything in between. Yeah. I think it's really important to know when corporate spaces in corporate America is hopping on a trend. Mm. So for me, with all of the experience I have, I would have known if I took a DEI role at one of these companies in 2020, it might not be there in 2022. When Black Lives Matter dies down and George Floyd is laid to rest. I And I have that foresight because I've worked in corporate America for so long, for so many different places. I know how things tend to move. So I think it's also about having foresight, right? Try to have as much foresight as you can. Pay attention to not just what your role is and what your responsibilities are, but where that fits in the larger sort of organization or ecosystem of the company and where their priorities are. So I asked both of my guests to share a moment in their life that caused them to course correct personally or professionally. What I like to call a life interrupt moment, aka what the fuck just happened moment. Here's what Steven had to say. I would say there's a couple, but the transition from entertainment into tech was mm. definitely one of those, okay, what the fuck kind of, kind of moments, right? Because before I got to Google, my resume was beautiful. It was, st- and, I, and, and I don't say that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that as like, what do you I define s- as beautiful? <laughs> meaning flashy is what I mean, is the exact, okay, okay. is the exact sort of words that many an HR rep has said to me. Very flashy, very impressive, very big, mm. com- should we just name them? Okay. Combs Enterprises. That's P. Diddy. Yep. RCA Records. That's Sony Music. Um, I did a distribution internship, a music distribution internship for um, a distribution firm in Madrid uh, when I was mm-hmm. in college. That is, uh, that's MTV. That is SiriusXM. That is Spotify, right? Uh, All yep. of that was before I got to Google, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and so I got a lot of, oh, your resume is really, really flashy. So I knew it would be a transition, but I thought it would be a relatively easy one. Um, but what I realized is like, I, you know, going back to my, my linguist background, you know, with languages and things like that, I realized I needed to learn a different language to be able to adequately communicate the value that I could bring to, a a team on the tech side of things. We could be talking Mm -hmm. about the same exact thing over at, you know, MTV or Viacom that they're talking about at Google, but at Google, they have a complete or in tech software, anything like that, they have a completely different language for communicating the exact Even same thing. Even their titles of jobs. Titles are different. Like- I had to spend so much time just figuring out like what the titles meant, you know, on, yeah. you know, teams and marketing teams. You know, I know what you're doing. You're a marketing team or you're a content production team. Right. I know what you're doing, but I don't know what that title means, right? There were so right. many things that I had to learn. So I really had to course correct recalibrate and the thing that was like okay you're not getting it yet going back to my youtube channel my work as a creator is all centered around language right and i've been very successful as a language a language centric content creator and so Mm -hmm. i thought when i got on a call with duolingo in the middle of 2020 or yeah in the middle of 2020 to join their content team or I think it was actually at the beginning of 2021 when I started talking to Duolingo. And then 
they just rejected me after one interview. That was kind of like like how your face just did that. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I did a double take like, what? What? I am a proven successful content creator who makes content centered around language. This team is looking to build a team that will support Duolingo making content around languages. What is the disconnect? What is the disconnect? I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And so I, I said to myself, it has to mean, it has to mean that I need more information. And that, and that was but the only, that was the only meaning that I would accept. It didn't have anything to do with me not being prepared. It didn't have anything to do with me not being good enough or capable. Yeah. It was just me needing more information. Um, okay. And and literally the day after I got that rejection, I got a text message from a mutual friend of ours who was at Google. She told me about uh, a job that they had opening, which is the job that I have now. But you know what I love so much about that moment is that you know, the very next day I was able to sort of talk with her about like, okay, so here's what I've been doing. I've been trying to get into tech for a while, but like, how do I position myself so that they get it? Because I get it, but it's clear to me that on the other end, they don't get it yet. And I'm going to put that on myself to figure out how I make sure that they get it. And it yeah. really came down to, to knowing the language. Just look at the, the job descriptions, right? for those roles and start yeah. to incorporate the, incorporate that language. Look at resumes and LinkedIn pages of people who work at these companies. And that'll yeah. start to give you clues into the language that you're gonna need to, to implement into how you speak to your own unique value. Life is about seasons and there are some that we can actually name. Wrapping up our conversation, I asked my guests what they would have named the chapters of their lives before and after their life interrupted moment, starting with Steven. When I was younger and thought life was one way, and then through either one experience or a series of experiences, it was like, oh, the the sort of the the rose-colored glasses or the blinders were lifted mm -hmm. off of me. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, life is so much more and so much different than I initially thought. I would say the title, is this a movie? Is it a book? What is it? Is it a song? What is the title? Whatever you want it to be. It would be called Blind by Choice. Mm. Blind by Choice. A spiritual teacher I, I follow, you and I both follow, Esther Hicks. Uh, yes. She says, and I've heard her say this for years, but this year it really began to, I really began to understand the meaning. She says, we are so free that we can choose bondage. And what I'm specifically talking about is mental bondage, being bound by our perceptions of reality, being bound by our fears, being bound by our family histories, being bound by our past, being bound by tradition, what has always been, right? You know, uh, Jesus didn't say, I'm coming to heal the people who know they're blind. He says, I'm coming so that you may see, because none of you are seeing. So what I've recently been able to do is really, really take inventory of all of, in all of these spaces internally again, where I'm allowing myself to be bound. Um, and I see that so clearly in my past. You know, before, you know, I started, you know, walking with God a little bit differently in my in my mid twenties. I see all of these ways that I've been bound, and I'm in this season now, where like all of those attachments or you know forms of bondage are are just being released. I'm learning how to let them go because I'm in this space with God, where like He's able to use the small things to show me where I'm bound, you know? Like the things that I'm that I'm going through now, the challenges that I'm going through now, while they are very difficult, I have the perspective of like, wow, how blessed am I that I get to learn this very important life lesson through this thing that is not very serious, mm. you know? 
Meanwhile, I, I can look at other people going through much graver, much more dire circumstances than I am. Um, and so the memoir now, or the movie, whatever it is now, title, it would yeah. be called um, Blind by Choice, Vision by Grace. Um, okay. <laughs> and, and I got that from Amazing Grace, right? That's where both titles really come from, because that's the song that talks about being blind, right? Now I see. The song says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. So I was blinded by choice, unbeknownst to me. Yep. Now, thanks to grace, I have vision. Stephen doesn't mince words, honey, and neither does Amadi. Here's what she had to say about her life interrupted moment. I'd say it was 2021, last year. I had, um, I had had this opportunity for a new job, and it was going to kind of put me in a development sort of um, manager position. It was an opportunity to join this small production company that was up and coming. And it was going to be an opportunity for me to really, I feel like, take um, more of like a position as a higher up in a way I hadn't had that opportunity before. And so I was mm -hmm. really excited. And I left a very secure job, a very secure position with benefits where I was comfortable. And I felt like I was somewhat on a track to grow, but it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. So I took this other job and I was really excited and I was really hopeful. And I'm someone who... It's in my career, in my educational journey, I've always been very assured of what I was doing. I, when it came to college in my major, when it came to grad school, when it was knowing I wanted to move to LA, knowing I wanted to go into film, I've always known what that was. Whether there wasn't a set out plan, but I knew this is where I want to end up. These are the um, intentional steps I'm going to take. And so suddenly I was in this job and it was not what it had advertised to be. And I suddenly realized I made this decision. I put myself in this position. And now I was questioning in a way I never had before my career. I was questioning my skill set, my talent, and my knowledge in a way I never had before. I knew, I know I'm smart. And I know, especially when it comes to development, to film, I know I know what I'm talking about. You sit me at the table, you put a script in front of me, and I know what I'm talking about, that there is no question about my knowledge. And suddenly, I was questioning that. I was questioning where I was, what had gotten me here, and my own knowledge. And it scared me because it was like, this is not who I am. This is not who Amadi is. And it was also unsettling because now I had left a comfortable job. I was now in this job where I was unsure. And I also felt like the person who had gotten me in this position, my manager, she was someone who I felt like I was prepared to trust. And she had told me that I could put my trust in her. And so suddenly it was like, I don't know who to trust. And now I can't trust myself. And I was wrong in trusting this person. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. what, what am I <laughs> going to do? And so it put me yeah. in a place where I was just so scared and I was so nervous. And I was, and I guess I was unprepared because the person who I was reporting to was a woman of color. I think what shook me and also, you know, threw me so off filter was jarring because I was like, oh my gosh, I had never, I had never interacted professionally with a person of color, even personally, where I felt like, I was lied to or I was so misguided and so thrown off that I I was just because then it was like oh my gosh I'm not trusting my own people and it was like how how do I look myself in the mirror and say that I can trust yeah. myself again and trust us when this person led me so astray mm. and it was such a weird season for me I'd say about four or five months and it was hard and weird and it was so unsettling and looking back now where i am i just feel so blessed and grateful because i was able to get myself out of that and i was able to walk away and you know turn to her and say you know i wish you the best of luck and i know that i could have written a long email i could have said you're this that i didn't like how you did this i didn't like how you did that this was wrong you know this is how i felt but what i realized was what i needed was i didn't need to say all that to her what i needed for me 
was to walk away and just know that I did my absolute best, yeah. but that I'm putting that behind me and that I don't need to carry her. I don't need to carry that experience. And I felt like putting it on paper would have, for me, it wasn't the right thing to do because I didn't need that out there. I spoke to her and I said, I wish you the best of luck with what you're trying to accomplish, with what you're trying to do. This wasn't for me, but you know what? I'm going to walk away and, I, and, and that's it. This, and I said, this experience taught me a lot and that's it. Because I don't wish her ill will. She has a lot she needs to work through. And you know, mm -hmm. and as a woman of color, I do wish her the best. And I hope that she can find a place where she's able to help people grow but she wasn't able to do that because I think she has a lot that she needs to figure to out. Do. And yep. so I just hope that she can do that work before letting more people that look like me in and setting us back. Because I yeah. think for someone who maybe didn't have the support system or didn't find that inner strength, that could have broken them. And that could have tell, you know, turned them away mm. and made them say, wow, this isn't the industry for me oh no, that was terrible. And so I'm just grateful that I was able to do the work through prayer, <laughs> so much prayer, you know, and that's something else that experienced for me. I'd say it brought me closer to God in a way I never had before because I was like, yeah. I mean, I have no one else to turn to, you know, but, you know, to say, okay, there has to be something greater than this. You know, and yeah. just say that this is not all and that my purpose has to be greater than the position I'm in. And that's what yeah. I told myself. And that's what I said, that my purpose, what I want to do in the film industry and the work that I know I want to do positively for Black people, it's greater than where I am right now. Yeah. I even feel like I had to go through that to know that this is not who I want to be for our people, that this is not mm. the space I want to create for our people, that it is gonna be a space that is positive, that is a space for us, for people of color to learn, to come into this, to, in, to come into the entertainment industry and feel like we belong, to not feel like that I'm gatekeeping anything, but to feel like it mm. is for us and we deserve to be here. And here's Amadi's take on what she would have named the chapters of her life before and after her life interrupted moment. Before that crazy moment, I would say um, <laughs> just blessed or blessed to be present. Because I think for me, it was very much, while I knew I was educated in my talent and my skills, I think I just was so, so glad at every opportunity that like, ooh, you know, you saw something in me. I'm going to do the work. I'm just going to smile and be present. And I'm so grateful. And I'm not going to rock the boat too much. But I think after that, I would say, it's moving with a purpose. Mm. Even more so moving in my purpose. Because I think from that, I fully realized I have to use my voice or it'll get lost or someone will try to tell me what my voice is. And I think before I, I was so afraid to use my voice or so nervous about getting fired or those fears we talked about that I kind of allowed others to use my voice and end up dictating my purpose. And after that, I realized I can't let anyone do that because in the end, yeah. this is my journey. I want us to occupy every space and occupy every mm. corner and just be everywhere. We are not in this alone. I love that. Amadi, thank you so much. Here's how you can find both of my guests online, which will also be in the show notes. So I'm on Instagram. Amadi Ann, Amadi, A-M-A-D-I-A-N-N-E. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Amadi Pay. You can find me, message me, add me, connect, please. American Boy on Twitter and Instagram. I don't check DMs a whole lot, so don't bother me. <laughs> um, I don't get on Instagram a whole lot, so don't DM me there. Um, if you, if you, if you, something I said resonated with you, if you want to know what I'm up to, if you want to hear from me directly, shoot me a tweet at American boy, everything spelled correctly. No spaces, no underscores, just American boy. And don't DM me at me. <laughs> I repeat, I repeat. <laughs> the gratitude I feel for the mentors and experiences that God has made available to me along the way has been so clutch. Mentorship is hella key and exists in all spaces. When I don't always feel confident in my voice as a black woman, I call my former boss turned client that I spoke about in the intro. 
When I'm in spaces mainly occupied by white men and I start to feel oppressive tendencies present themselves, I have a former colleague for that who flies in with the invaluable and timely insight. I stand taller because of mentorship and the many that I have the privilege of tapping into beyond these two. Listen, I'm not over the PTSD I've experienced in these corporate spaces, but I am moving through it. What it looks like now in my late 30s are coping mechanisms that are healthier, more tools in my toolkit, and me holding the door wide the fuck open for others that look like me to enter these spaces. For those that don't always want us there, but for the necessary representation on and off screen and for the culture, absolutely need us there. And on that note, I'm Georgette, signing off until the next episode. Peace. This podcast was written and hosted by me, Georgette Pierre, associate producer Tristan Bragg, and co-producer and editor Wise Grisette for the Indie Creative Network. Music by Otis McDonald, King Canyon, and Bail Bonds. You can follow my conversations on Twitter at Georgette and Instagram at Georgette Pierre. That's G-E-O-R-G-E-T-T-E-P-I-E-R-R-E. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Nuance Pod. That's Black, N-U-A-N-C-E-D-P-O-D, or email us at BlackNuancePod at gmail.com. Spell the same exact way. Subscribe and share from your favorite podcast app. We're streaming on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and more. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.